Welcome to Pure Mind Magic, the show to evolve your mind. Our mind is the most powerful thing we have, but no one teaches us how to use it. When we find out how, we're ready to create magic in life and in business. Learn real mindset secrets from brilliant minds around the world to change your mindset and income level forever. With every decision you make, you create your future. What is your next move? Now, welcome your host. Host, international magician, speaker, and podcast performance consultant, Jennifer S. Royal. Hi, this is Jennifer, and welcome to another episode at the Pure Mind Magic Podcast. Today is all about how you can stop binge eating with my guest, Glenn Livingston. So this is a topic a lot of people run into, especially entrepreneurs, when there is so much stress and so much to do so that it's really easy to get off track and lose your sense for eating, for time, for putting all this healthy food into your body and having the focus on your nutrition because you're just in this taking action, hustling all the time. So Glenn will have some advice on how you can break this cycle and get out of it. So this is why he wrote the book Never Binge Again. And today on this episode, we will talk about how you can reprogram yourself to think like uh, another person when it comes to food and he says that most of the time we are approaching things just with the wrong mindset and obviously there is a pattern to how we eat and also a pattern that we can change so stay tuned to learn all the secrets how you can upgrade your health and also the way you eat. Before we start the show, as always, if you're interested, you can grab your personal podcast listening journal to take all notes and everything you want to look up from listening, not only to my podcast, but to many podcasts that are out there. And also, I have the honor to present to you the man behind the no BS drop shipping YouTube channel. So maybe you are like me and always on the lookout for new inspiration and learning new things when you have time during your lunch break. And YouTube actually, of course, is a very great resource to do that. And so this channel tells you everything about drop shipping. The No BS Dropshipping channel on YouTube is the biggest source for dropshipping training online. They have more than 1,380 videos online already. So I will leave a link in the show notes and you can check that out when this is something you are interested in and you are thinking about getting into dropshipping or you are already in. So a great episode here. You can learn how to improve your health and your eating habits and also, of course, how to improve your business or start a new business online that you can operate from anywhere in the world, no matter where you are. So that's all. And we are cleared to start right now. Lean back and enjoy this episode. Hi, Glenn. Welcome to Pure Mind Magic. Well, hello, Victoria. It's a delight to be here. I've been looking forward to it all week. 
Perfect. That sounds really magical. And I'm sure we will together create a very special and high valuable episode today because we are talking on how to change like your eating patterns. But Glenn, you are the expert. You can explain it best. That's probably true. <laughs> that's probably true. Um, what I like people to know, first and foremost, if that's okay, is that I, I'm not just an expert on eating disorders. I, I had a very serious problem myself, and I spent 30 years trying to solve it. I, I, sometime around 16, 17 years old, I figured out that because I'm 6'4 and fairly muscular, that if I worked out for three hours a day, that I could, um, you know, that that I could eat whatever I wanted to. Six, seven thousand calories, no problem. Whole pizza, box of donuts, box of muffins, didn't matter. And I was thin. I stayed thin. But as I got a little older, and I got to graduate school, and I had patients, and I was married, and I was commuting two hours each way, I just couldn't keep it up. I, I just couldn't do it. And I, I had maybe a half an hour, three times a week to work out. And I got fatter and fatter and fatter because I couldn't stop eating. I found that once you started eating these foods, they really had a life of their own. And worse yet, being a psychologist has always been the most important thing to me in my life. I was raised in a family of therapists, uh, my mom and my dad and my sister and my uncles and my aunts and my cousins and my grandma. And you know, standard joke was that If something breaks in the house, everybody knows how to ask it, how it feels, but nobody knows how to fix it. And just being a psychologist and helping, was that was most important to me. But when I was sitting with these suicidal patients or with clients who just recovered from an affair, I couldn't be 100% present. Being a good doctor, it's really not an intellectual endeavor. You don't just figure people out like a puzzle and tell them where, where the pieces fit. You have to lend them your soul. You have to really be present. And I wasn't. I, I was thinking about when can I get the next pizza or when can I get a box of snack wells. And that bothered me more than anything. It bothered me more than the fact that I was gaining more and more and more weight, that the doctors were telling me that I was going to die in my 30s if I didn't get this under control, that um, you know my triglycerides were 10 times where they should be and I really um more cardiovascular risk than a 70-year-old, the average 70-year-old. It was, it was crazy. And being a psychologist from a family of psychologists, when everything looks like a hammer, when you I'm sorry, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I went to all the best doctors around New York, all the best psychologists and nutritionists and psychiatrists that take medication, and I went to Overeaters Anonymous for many years. I even funded a 40,000-person study over the course of five years in a, um, on the internet when things were cheap. And I asked people what foods they struggled with and what their life was like. And what I found was that there were a couple of interesting connections. I'll tell you up front that this didn't solve the problem, but it was very interesting. People who started their binges with chocolate and couldn't, couldn't stop eating chocolate like me they tended to be lonely or brokenhearted. And people who started their binges with chips or pretzels or salty, crunchy things tended to be stressed at work, whereas people who were involved with 
bread and bagels and pasta and pizza, they tended to be stressed at home. And there could be some overlap. And I thought that was really brilliant. And I thought that was going to be the solution. I figured, okay, so now I know that I'm lonely and brokenhearted, and that's what's, quote unquote, causing me to eat chocolate. Let me figure out what's, um, let me figure out what is, what, what my personal history is with that. And, um, you know, I'll fix myself, then I'll fix everybody else with their particular issue. And I figured maybe I'm going to get the Nobel Prize or something because this was so interesting. But I went to my mom, who was also a therapist. And mom said, um, when I asked her, why in the world was I, why in the world was I struggling with um, chocolate? Is there anything in my history that would suggest that I couldn't stop eating chocolate when I was upset? And she got this horrible look on her face. She, and she said to me, Glenn, I'm so, so sorry. I'm so sorry. But when you were a very little boy, maybe about one year old, your, um, your, your father was being threatened with sent, being sent to Vietnam. He was a captain in the army. And your grandfather, my father, had just gotten out of prison. And I idolized that man. I had no idea he was doing these things, but he was. He was guilty. And I was horribly, horribly depressed. And as a consequence, when you came to get a hug or you were you were um, you know hungry or you needed feeding or you needed just to sit and talk I didn't always have it to give that to you so what I did was I um, I, I put a big refrigerator on the floor a little refrigerator on the floor and I got a big bottle of chocolate Bosco syrup and I put it in the refrigerator and you'd come crying to me looking to be held or to be fed and I say Glenn Go get your Bosco. And you'd go running over to the refrigerator on the floor and you'd pull out the Bosco chocolate syrup and you'd suck on it and you'd go into a chocolate sugar coma. And Victoria, I, I figured if this were the movies, that mom and I would have a big cry and a big hug and then I'd never have trouble with chocolate again. But I, I want to tell you, we, we did have a little bit of a cry and a hug and it was a valuable conversation because I learned a lot about her and her life at that time. And I learned a lot about myself and I could forgive myself. So I got kind of softer that, that critical voice in my head got softer, but my chocolate eating and consequent binging got worse. And the reason is because there was this crazy voice in my head and it went something like this. Hey, Glenn, you're right. Your mama didn't love you enough. And she left a great big chocolate sized hole in our heart. And until you can find the love of your life, you're going to have to go right on binging. Yippee, yippee, yippee. Let's go get some. And what I learned from that was that, first of all, when there's a fire, the first order of business is to be a fireman, not a detective. The arson squad comes in later to figure out what caused the fire and who's responsible. And in some ways, they never get caught. It doesn't really matter. But once that fire is burning, it has a life of its own, and you really have to put it out. The second thing that I learned was that it was that crazy voice of justification that made it possible for the fire to do damage. It wasn't the fire itself. Like the fire could be contained in a fireplace um, if you just patched up the fireplace and were logical about why it should be contained there, no matter how strong the fire was, no matter how strong the emotions were. That was the first paradigm shift for me because I, really, I always figured it's not what I'm eating, it's what's eating me because it's had such a psychological background. 
around that time I was coming out of Overeaters Anonymous and I read uh, a lot from a guy named Jack Trimpey who wrote a book called Rational Recovery and he flipped my paradigm. He said that the seat of addiction is really in the reptilian brand. And the reason that you can't love yourself out of an addiction is because the reptilian brain doesn't know love. The reptilian brain, when it sees something in the environment, it says, do I eat it, do I mate with it, or do I kill it? Eat, mate, or kill. There, there's no love there. There's no concern for tribe or relationships or other people. There's no concern for spirituality or music or art or creativity or long-term plans and strategic thinking or your health and fitness long-term goals, for example. It's just eat, mate, or kill. And it's part of the fight or flight response, more or less. Then I started to put it together because I, you know, I don't have children and I never commuted, so I had a lot of time for a career. And I was doing a lot of consulting for large companies, many in the food industry. And I knew that they were engineering these hyperpalatable concentrations of starch and sugar and fat and oil and excitotoxins. And there were billions of dollars going into pressing our bliss points without giving us the nutrition that we needed to feel satisfied. I actually remember a VP at a major food bar manufacturer telling me that their biggest and most profitable insight was when they decided to take the nutrition out of the bar. They took the vitamins out of the bar because it was making them taste worse and it was expensive. And they put the money into the packaging instead to make it look vibrant and colorful. And vibrant, diverse colors in nature signal a diversity of nutrition that is available. There's a reason why we're so attracted to a salad with dark green lettuce and red cabbage or you know purple cabbage and yellow carrots and you know, red tomatoes and on and on and on. It's because it signals a diversity of nutrition that's available. But here this company was faking us out. And that goes on, all, I don't mean to single out that food bar manufacturer, it goes on all across the industry. I also knew that there were billions of dollars going into advertising this stuff to make it seem like we couldn't live without it. And most, most people think that advertising doesn't affect them, but the truth is that it affects you more when you think it doesn't affect you because then your sales resistance is down. And so if you put this all together and then you look at the animal studies and you, you look at what happens when you short circuit an animal's evolutionary pleasure center. So for example, if you take a mammal and you put, let's take a rat for example, and you put a electrode in their pleasure center in the brain, directly into the brain, and you let that animal press a, a lever to self-stimulate, that rat will press that button thousands of times a day to the exclusion of its survival needs. A starving rat will press the button thousands of times a day and ignore its food until it dies. A nursing mother rat will press the button thousands of times per day, ignoring her pups. Rats will crawl over painful electrical grids to press that pleasure button. So this is a very powerful thing. Now, I, I don't think that anybody's putting electrodes in our brains. I'm not paranoid. But on the other hand, if you walk out of McDonald's and across the street, there's a Burger King on so many corners in so many cities in the United States today and, and all around the world. Are we really that far from being given those pleasure buttons? There, there was no, you know, there was no cheeseburger on the Savannah. We didn't have chocolate bars and pizza and pasta and chips and all these things that people 
you know, get addicted to and wind up looking for love at the bottom of a bag or a box or a container. We, we didn't have all those things when we were evolving in the tropics. And, and they, they are manipulating our evolutionary buttons such that we think that we need them to survive. I think that we are being given pleasure buttons and you see a very similar response. How many people say, well, I just don't like fruit and vegetables anymore. I, you know, I know, I know you need to eat a lot of fruit and vegetables to lose weight, but I just don't like them. It's because our pleasure response has, and our survival response has been stolen by industry. That's, that's what's happened. Mm, I so, see. So there was really a lot of information here already, Glenn. So to wrap it up again a little bit, it's really interesting what you mentioned that there are even patterns behind people going for chocolate or uh, chips and that there are reasons why. And everyone knows that it's really easy to understand all that in the mind, but then it's really tough to implement it. And you have been the whole way yourself. So why do you think, Glenn, it is so difficult to know and understand that you have to eat healthy and also work out, but it is such a challenge to really do it and stick with it. Well, and this actually leads to what, what fixed it for me. It's because we're of two minds. We, we've got the reptilian brain, but then we also have our higher brains, the, the neocortex and the mammalian brain. And everything that we think of as human inside of us, all of our goals and plans, all of our dreams, all of our relationships, our inner wounded child, whatever it is, it, it's all in the the upper part of the brain. The reptilian brain generates survival impulses and biological urges in much the same way that your ovaries or your testicles or your bladder generate survival impulses. And those survival impulses are very strong. And, you know, if you're on a highway and you don't go to the bathroom for six hours, they get stronger and stronger and stronger until you're forced to attend to it. And the problem is that when we set up these goals for ourselves, when we read a when we read a book over the weekend about the latest and greatest diet and we're really convinced that we want to do it, and then on Monday morning we're all gung-ho and we're being really good, but then Monday afternoon we're at Starbucks and there's a big hairy chocolate bar on the counter and there's this little voice in our head that says, oh, you worked out hard enough, you deserve it, or just start tomorrow, or, you know, hey, chocolate comes from a cocoa bean which grows on a plant and therefore it's a vegetable whatever that little voice is saying that is stimulated by the reptilian brain which is it's trying to take over it's trying to take over like the fight or flight response takes over and tells you that this is an emergency it's a matter of life or death and so i can tell you what fixed it for me and it's gonna this is an embarrassing part because You know, I'm a sophisticated psychologist and I've done millions of dollars of research for big companies and I've published all these articles. But I have to tell you, it took me 30 years of trying all these other things to try to fix it and I couldn't. So when I tell you the solution, please just bear in mind that I know it sounds primitive, I know it sounds crude, but I think this is what it took to wake me up at that moment of impulse. So here's what I did. I decided that my my reptilian brain, I was going to call it my inner pig. Now, I'm just talking about a concept. I'm really not talking about real pigs in the world. I think real pigs in the world are very sweet animals and they need our help. I'm talking about just delineating the urges that are generated by 
my lizard brain. I call that my inner pig. I decided I was going to make very clear and bright lines so I knew what healthy eating was and what it wasn't. So, for example, since I had trouble with chocolate, I said, I'll only ever eat chocolate on the weekends again. I'll never eat it Monday through Friday. And I figured that's a really clear, bright line. Then if I heard my pig squealing for chocolate, I would say, I don't want chocolate. My pig does. Chocolate is pig slop. I don't listen to farm animals tell me what to do. And Victoria, that that's it. That that's, that was the pivotal insight for me after 30 years that worked. It what happened was it, it represented a real paradigm shift. Instead of trying to love myself then, I decided that this was a game of ruthless domination, in very much the same way that an alpha wolf controls the pack. If there's another member of the pack, in this case it would be the lizard brain, the reptilian brain, challenging for leadership. The alpha wolf doesn't say, oh, what's the matter, baby? You need a hug. The alpha wolf says, get back in line or I'll kill you, right? There, this is, that alpha wolf means business. It snarls and keeps the lesser wolf in line. That's how, that's how I recovered. I, I took the position of an alpha wolf with my lizard brain. I made it really clear when it was squealing. And it gave me those extra microseconds at the moment of impulse to remember who I was and jump back up into my upper brain and remember my goals and my dreams and why I was doing what I was doing. It started to take me out of the fight or flight response and it put me back in control. And it wasn't a miracle. It, it didn't cure me immediately, but it, what it did was it reversed the sense of powerlessness. I'd been taught to think of myself as powerless over these urges. I've been taught to think that I could never really quit. The best I could do was abstain one day at a time and that I, needed to have sponsors and I needed all this, you know, help, get help, get more help, get more help. But the truth was, it was kind of like I was in the Wizard of Oz and the power was inside me all the time. And I recognized that I could do this. I, I could make choices. And the more that I realized I could make choices, the more choices I made, the more rules that I made, you know, I made some rules about what I'd always do. I made some rules about what I'd never do. I made some rules about what I'd do under certain conditions. And slowly but surely, I defined the discipline of eating for me in, in exactly the way that I wanted to do it. And I got better. I got better. I lost, um, I can measure about 60 pounds. I think it was probably about 80 pounds because I stopped weighing myself when I was too heavy. Uh, but I can measure about 60 pounds. My triglycerides came down to normal. My skin and my, um, my health improved dramatically. More importantly, I found that I, as I got really, really clear about all this, I stopped obsessing about food all the time. I wasn't always thinking, how much am I, of this am I going to eat and how am I going to make up for it and when am I going to stop and where am I going to get it and how do I hide the evidence and, and all that. I just found myself more present and mindful and happy, just, just happy about food and happy about my life. And it was all because um, I don't eat pig slop. I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. And I never thought I was going to publish this. I, I'd kept a journal for a lot of years as I was working it all out, me versus my pig. And I never thought I was going to publish it, but I wound up being a minor partner in a publishing company. And the CEO asked if I had a book. And I was getting divorced and I needed something to do. So I edited the journal into a book and I published it on a whim, thinking, okay, let's see what they can do with this. And it just took off. It became the number one book on the Kindle free side for um, 
weight loss and weight management and eating disorders. And um, now there are 600,000 copies in distribution and 1,700 reviews, and it's it's pretty amazing. So that's my story. That's what happened. That is really amazing, Glenn. So you've been through all of it and you solved it on your own in the end without external help and really broke through the pattern. So it sounds almost like you had this magic switch and you said it didn't happen in an instant, but it happened. And you are now the author of this book, Never Binge Again the book you mentioned, the bestseller book. And I discovered what is also magical that the listeners can get a copy of the book, a digital copy of the book for free. Can you tell us where to find it? Yeah, you can go to neverbingeagain.com and click on the big red button. And that'll take you to the reader bonus page. If you sign up for that, we'll get you a free copy in Kindle, Nook or PDF format. You'll also be led to places where you can get the physical copies if you really want them. And on top of that, I'll give you two more things. I have a, I have a set of food plan starter templates. So this is, a, this is a program that you do on the diet of your choice. I don't tell people what to eat. So whether you're paleo or high carb or point counters or calorie counters or vegan or macrobiotic, whatever you are, you can find the opportunity to... Um, Get a set of rules that are examples, and you can modify them for yourself. And the last thing I give you there is a set of recorded coaching sessions. This is all free. And the reason I do that is that I know this sounds weird in theory. I really know that you're listening to this thinking, wait, so there's this psychologist, and he's got a pig inside them. This sounds kind of harsh, and am I going to be calling myself a pig? And it's not like that. It, this is a very compassionate life-enhancing, self-esteem increasing process. And if you just listen to a couple of sessions of how it actually works, you'll, um, I'm sure you'll agree. So deverbingeagain.com, click the big red button. Fantastic. So that is really easy to find. And of course, I will put that in the show notes to make it easier for the listeners to really land on your page and grab a free copy of your book. So, Glenn, you know, this show is all about mindset. And on your website, it says, reprogram yourself to think like a permanently thin person. And we all know that everything that ever happens to us and whatever we make happen starts with a thought in our mind. And it also depends on which programs we have installed on a subconscious level. So how can we start there and really get a program for ourselves to be permanently thin? Sounds really magical. Well, if you make a commitment to separate your constructive versus destructive thoughts in your head. So for example, if I say that I will only ever have chocolate on Saturdays and Sundays again, then I know that any thought which suggests that I will ever eat chocolate Monday through Friday is a destructive thought. And I assign that to my pig. I assign that to the destructive part of myself because when I was of sound mind and had the time and energy and emotional fortitude to construct my plan, I decided that I was not going to have chocolate during the week. Therefore, any thought, feeling, impulse, or image that suggests that I should is a destructive thought, and I'm going to assign that to my pig. 
when you decide to purge your mind of destructive thoughts about food and you decide that you're not going to act on those destructive thoughts, it's okay to recognize them and ignore them, but you're just not going to act on them, then you've installed a program in your head that's going to take hold and start working on all sorts of thoughts that you don't even know that you had and that you're, you haven't even had yet. Because now you have this algorithm in your mind that keeps them apart. And the longer they're apart, the more second nature it seems. It's kind of like, well, let's go back to the analogy using your bladder. At some point in your life, it wasn't second nature to you to only go pee in the, in the toilet. At some point in your life, you just went in your diapers. Or at some point in the life, if nobody told you any better or you weren't wearing a diaper, you'd be going in somebody's living room. But over time, you know, a relatively short period of time, you went through some training and you were acculturated and civilized by your parents, and you learned that you urinate in a toilet. That's that's what we do. And it wasn't easy at first, but you know you you develop this rule in your head that any you know thought filling room pills that suggest that you should go in the diaper or suggest that you should go, you know, in the living room, was not you. That was your bladder telling you to do something that you know big boys or big girls didn't do, and you wanted to be a big boy or a big girl, and you. You turned yourself into that kind of person, and nobody even gives it a second thought after they're five or six years old, right? Most people don't. So that's what I'm talking about. You, you, make, you make these rules, and you use them to hear your pigs squealing. And you don't have to call it a pig. You can call it your food monster or your food demon or whatever you want to call it, as long as it's not a cuddly pet. And then you ignore the squeals of your of your lower brain. And this is very much how we develop character. I'll, I'll give you an example, because character really trumps willpower. If you, if you go into a diner, Victoria, let's use you as an example. If you go into a diner and there's a $20 bill on the table because the waitress hasn't seen her tip, and there are no video cameras, and there's nobody up front and there are no windows. And she says, I'll be right back. I just have to get a menu. And she didn't see it. And nobody would see you take the $20 bill. Would you take the money? Well, not me, but I'm sure people would do it because when no one sees it, it's like it has not happened. But why wouldn't you do it? Well, it's inner commitment. It's not my money and it's hers because she's working. It belongs. It doesn't belong to me. And you're not a thief. Yes, definitely. So as a matter of character, you've developed a rule for yourself, which we call a character rule, that says what you're going to do in a situation where pleasure is available, something that would enhance your life is available, but would have negative consequences um, for how you viewed yourself. And what, what I'm telling people is that you can do the same thing with food. When I say that I will never have chocolate Monday to Friday again, what I'm really saying is I'm not the kind of person who eats chocolate during the week. It's a character statement. The reason that's so important is that character trumps willpower. Willpower is not a black and white on and off switch that some people are genetically gifted with and other people aren't. It's more like gas in the tank. 
And what burns that gas in the tank, this is what all the latest research says, what burns that gas in the tank is decision-making. Not just decisions about food, although food decisions do burn quite a bit of, of um, willpower, but any type of decision-making, so deciding what to do with an email, doing uh, when people do math problems, they have a harder time resisting marshmallows afterwards. There's studies that show that. And when you're, what most people do in our society is they run around trying to follow guidelines where they'll say, well, I'm going to eat well 90% of the time, but 10% of the time I'm going to indulge. So I, I avoid chocolate 90% of the time, I'm going to indulge 10%. And that might be a good North Star to shoot for. There's no, there's nothing wrong with that as a guideline, except that it requires that every time we're in front of a chocolate bar, we have to make another decision. Is this part of the 90% or is this part of the 10%? And that wears down our willpower all week long. And the fact that people are trying to make so many food decisions all day long is a good part of the reason that they run out of willpower at night and they, you know, they start binging at six, seven, eight o'clock after dinner. There are only so many good decisions we can make over the course of the day. If instead what you do is you sit back and you think about what, um, what kind of person you want to be around these foods, what are your specific Where's the line between healthy and unhealthy behavior so that all those decisions are made beforehand? People do much, much better. Now I forgot the question you asked me to get to that point, but I'm kind of glad that I made it because it was an important one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think this is really a smart approach on how you can do it and kind of trick yourself into a better behavior when it comes to food. So, Glenn, We mentioned your book and there's also the opportunity for people who would really like to solve that and dive deeper into all the patterns and triggers what make them behave in a certain way. So you offer also a group coaching and it is even possible for those who are really interested in the health industry to become a coach. Can you give us some insights on that? Well, you, you'll learn all about that if you go get all the free stuff and consume that first. But if you're curious to learn more, you can learn about the group coaching option at neverbingeagaincoaching.com. That's neverbingeagaincoaching.com. And if you want to become a weight loss coach, you can go to becomeaweightlosscoach.com. So we've got really three areas. There is neverbingeagain.com, and that's where you get all the free stuff. Click the big red button. There's the group coaching area at neverbingeagaincoaching.com, and then there's the um, there's the How to Become a Weight Loss Coach program where you can learn to administer this method to others at becomeaweightlosscoach.com. Amazing. So there's really something for everyone, and I think it's really best to start with your book to get known with all the concepts behind it, and you made clear that it is really like an iceberg. So when we are just eating... Above the surface, there is so much going on below the surface, why we are choosing certain foods when we are stressed or when we are lacking something in our lives. So I guess really complex and I'm sure you could talk on for hours and hours. And I like your approaches with this like small tricks on how you can improve everything around your mindset and really stick with the food decisions you make. So to wrap this episode up, Glenn, do you have some final thoughts, some inspiration, anything that can help the listeners to really get some practical advice that they can implement in their lives right away? 
Well, what I'd like you to do is to think about the most difficult trigger food or eating behavior that you have. So for me, it was chocolate. For some people, it might be eating while they're standing up. For other people, it could be um, that they always have to put their fork down between bites. Some people, it might be bagels or pasta, or maybe it's eating at a restaurant and they should only have one serving of X, Y, or Z, or one dessert, or whatever it is, or no desserts. Think about your most troublesome trigger food or behavior, and just try to construct one rule that governs that. And then listen for yourself trying to break it. Listen for your inner pig or your inner food monster trying to break it, and see if that doesn't give you just a little more power to ignore it. Just a little more. And that, that's the best way to get started. Listen to a couple of the sessions that I gave you at neverbingeagain.com to, um, to see how it's actually done and how other people use this tool as a power, as a power lever. And uh, remember that it doesn't have to be as complicated as it's made out to be in our culture. Yes, there's a relationship between emotions and overeating, but you can disempower the bridge between the emotion and the behavior so that you don't have to solve all the emotions first. It can take five to 10 years to really get through things in therapy and psychotherapy. And I love doing psychotherapy. I'm a, you know, I'm a very seasoned psychotherapist, but it's not necessarily what you have to do in order to stop overeating. You can fix the overeating problem independent of the therapy that you do. You don't have to wait until all those problems are solved. Um, the last thing I'll tell you is that I find, like Jim Rohn said, a life of discipline is better than a life of regret. And that freedom sits on top of discipline. Think of a jazz musician. They have to practice their scales uh, at a very intense level in order to be able to improvise and express their soul later on. You can't just sit down and play the piano without ever having known scales or anything like that. Almost every jazz musician has to practice first. Or... Think about your car. Your automobile only turns 30 degrees to the right when you turn the steering wheel 30 degrees to the right because of the discipline of the engineers who put it together. The, that discipline gives you freedom. And that's, that's what this is like. When you think through a rule or two for yourself, you're going to find that you have more power and more freedom. You won't feel more restricted and, and controlled because you're going to come up with it. I'm not going to come up with it. And... Um, that's how it works. So that's what I have to say, Victoria. Perfect. Thank you so much, Glenn, for being my guest today on Pure Mind Magic. That was some really great information on everything around food. And I would recommend everyone checking out your book in the show notes. So let's stay in touch and maybe until next time. Very good. Very good. Thank you, dear. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in today to my interview with Glenn Livingston. And in case you are confused about the name with Victoria and Jennifer, so if you not know, I changed it from my former artist's name of Victoria to my real name that is Jennifer. So this is why it's now Jennifer S. Royal, but this was an older recording and that is why he refers to Victoria. But anyways, you are listening to the right show here. So make sure to check out all his information and also the book Never Binge Again.
when you are interested in that. And as I mentioned, there's also the YouTube channel about dropshipping if you are interested in getting started in this business model that you can do from anywhere. That's all for today. When you like the episode, I'm always happy when you share it with someone else and also you can comment it and of course subscribe to the show. So thanks for listening again and talk to you soon. Until then, create some magic. 